Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Obadiah, Destructive Pride. We're going to be in the book of Obadiah. If you don't know what Obadiah is, it is the smallest book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Uh, that's what it is. Obadiah is a contemporary of uh, Amos. He was a contemporary of Hosea. Contemporary, a little older than Isaiah, but more, more or less than that time. Lots of prophecy happening during that age, during that time period of Israel's history. And so Obadiah is one of these guys we know almost nothing about him other than he spoke prophecy and God chose to put it in his scripture. And um, so we're going to be looking at what he has to say here. But first of all, an introduction to this, just so we can understand kind of what's going on here, is that there was two, um, two family splits and uh, the life or the children, grandchildren of Abraham, one was among his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And those, that split still affects us today. Uh, the Ishmaelites became the Arabs, and of course the sons of Isaac became the Jews. And really in the Bible there is not an Arab-Israeli conflict, even though we have it since, what, the 40s. Uh, there is not really one in the Bible. There may be arguably some, somewhat, but more or less the Arabs went over into the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and they kind of left the Jews alone. There was a huge desert barrier between the two of them and so they really didn't have conflicts. The, the, the Jews had conflicts with the Syrians and the Jordanians, the Egyptians, and those. they still have conflicts with them as well. But the Arabs in particular, the Saudi Arabian Arabs, if you will, are the brothers of the Jews. They really are. They're both the children of Abraham. There was a split between them, and that split still is affecting us today. I mean, if you notice, they don't get along very well today. And they still, by the way, you go there or listen to the right news agencies, they still refer to themselves, each other, as the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, very biblically so. And, of course, they have uh, huge differences now. But uh, the second split... And more minor in the sense of its longevity, it doesn't last up until today. It was over with a long time ago because of what we're going to read in, in Obadiah. Uh, but it was quite heated in its day as opposed to the Arab-Israeli uh, split that took place. Uh, this one was, it was, it was, it was going, they were going at it from the beginning. And talk about bad blood. The two grandsons of Abraham by the name of Jacob and Esau, uh, they were something else. Worst case of bad blood maybe there ever was because these two, two young people, these two twins started fighting in the womb, says in the Bible. So talk about you know, bad blood. I mean, that's when you got yourself. You talk about a family feud. That's a family feud. When you're not even born yet and you're fighting. And, of course, when, if you know the story, when they were born, the older one, as he was coming out, the younger one had a cult of his heel. And they named the younger one Jacob, which is, by the way, anybody here named Jacob? You don't want to? Anybody got a child named Jacob? Um, and, and that's cool. And I'm not trying to talk, talk you out of that. I just let me just say, from the from the meaning of the name, it's not a good name. Help your child not to be what the name means, because it means to it means he's a line breaker, he's a cheater, he's a tripper. He's uh, Jacob's not a good name. There's a lot of names that aren't. You make the name what it is. Uh, you know, Bill's not a good name either. You catch me on the right day. Trust me. Jacob is a tough name because the first place, in, it means to trip people up. That's what his name means. And uh, the first person he tripped was his brother as he comes out of the womb. And so talk about a feud these guys had. And as they got older, it didn't get any better. They heated up as Jacob steals his brother's uh, birthright, if you'll remember, or tricks him out of his birthright and then steals his, his blessing from his brother. And so talk about a family feud. They were, Esau was trying to kill him. He had to leave for 21 some odd years in order to get away from his brother. 
Uh, bad blood relationship, much in the same way as Ishmael and Isaac relationship was passed on to their descendants, in the same way was passed on to the respective descendants of, of Jacob and Esau. And the culmination of that rocky relationship between these two twins is summed up in the book of, it's the, it's the topic of Obadiah. What is Obadiah about? It's about these two twins who could not get along and where it went, eventually wound up. Uh, what started out as a family feud uh, deteriorated, de degenerated into feuding nations. Of course, uh, it, Israel descended from Jacob and uh, Edom descended from Esau. And so this is about Edom and the judgment that God has for the, the people of Edom. And in the case of this, God is going to be coming down on the nation of Edom for the way they treated Israel. Again, brothers, relatives. And uh, notice what God's going to say to them. We're going to read the first nine verses, first ten verses, then we're going to be skipping down to verse 18. Uh, we're, we're looking at the highlights of the Old Testament. Of course, it's hard to do the highlight of a book that only has one chapter. So it's just going to be the highlights of the whole thing. Here we go. Verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us go against her for battle. So why? Why? Why, why is Edom being judged here? Behold, I, I will make you a small nation among the nations, and you are greatly despised. Why? It's going to tell us. Here's why. The arrogance, he says, of your heart. Arrogance is a tough thing. Living in arrogance and pride today, you've got yourself a problem. And you are a problem. Let's just say that. And you've got yourself a problem. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, and you, have, you live in the clefts of the rocks and loftiness of your dwelling places, and who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the earth? Don't ever, don't ever dare God to do something to you. No one can stop us. Yeah. The Titanic. No one can sink this ship. Right. You're asking for him to do something to you. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be arrogant. It's another thing just to poke your finger right, right straight in the eyeball of God. Don't do that. That's what they're doing. Who will bring us down to the earth? Well, they're about to find out. Though you build high like the eagle, he says. Though you set your nest among the stars from there. I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, uh, oh, how you, wouldn't they leave something, he says? Uh, would they not steal only until they had enough? Right, that's the normal robbery. It's not going to be like that for you. They're taking everything. If grape gatherers came to you, and, and would, they, would they not leave some gleanings? Yeah, they would, but not in this case. Oh, Esau, he says, will be ransacked. And his hidden treasures searched out, and all the men allied with you will send, send, forth, send you forth to the borders, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will ambush you, ambush for you, be an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and the understanding from the mountains of Esau, and then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Timon, and in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau. So, so God's doing all this because they're full of pride? Yeah. But not just so much that as much as what has pride done to them. Notice what it says in the next verse. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, he says. Because of violence. And notice the end, how, how it's going to turn out, verse 18. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will no, be no survivor to the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The last recorded Edomite in history was a king by the name of King Herod. Did you know Herod was not a Jew? 
He had the title of the king of the Jews, but he was actually an Edomite. Last recorded one, 2,000 years ago, they have ceased to exist as a people, exactly as Obadiah. Now, how many Jews do we have? We have more, maybe a lot than ever has been, but not the Edomites. Because of the way they treated their brother, because of their pride, and because of what pride did to them, uh, they were destroyed. Pride becomes Edom's undoing, and it ends up destroying them permanently as a people. Pride is a dangerous, destructive thing. It will wreck your life. You heard about the frog who died up here on the North Texas border? Fell 20,000 feet? Did you hear that? He'd been noticing that swans were flying south from Canada every single year, and they're coming down here getting a tan in South Padre Island, so he wanted to be a winter Texan. You didn't hear that? <laughs> wanted to be a winter Texan, and the problem that it is is he talked to the swans, and the swans said, there's no way. The Lord gave you legs. He didn't give you wings. He says, no. God, Lord gave you wings so that you could carry me south. He says, what you're going to do is I'm going to get each of you to hold a stick in your beaks as you fly. And I'm going to hold the stick in my mouth so that when you fly, you'll just carry me along. And so they took off and they crossed the Canadian border, headed south, and here comes the frog. He crosses the Red River and a North Texas farmer looks up in the sky and says, look at that frog. Who figured that out? Who was smart enough to figure that out? And, and so the frog, not wanting to let anyone else get the credit, opened his mouth and that's how he fell 20,000 feet pride will kill you pride will destroy you it will pride's pathway to destruction let's consider what was how, how pride was the undoing of this nation of Edom how it affected their relationship and uh, how they treated others first of all pride blinds us to our need for God blinds us to our need for God look at verse 3 it says you your arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You you live in the clefts of the rocks and the loftiness of your dwelling place. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the earth? So like you're better than God then. Like there's no one who can touch us. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. I, this can't be stopped. I can't be stopped. Oh, wow. Are you in for a lesson? And it will not be a good one. They trusted in their defenses. It says they lived in the clefts of the rocks. You go with us to Israel. We go over into the country of Jordan, which is now... Uh, controls the area that's known as Edom. Uh, the mountain crags there that, that the Edomites live in, there's just an illustration. Of, it's sort of a, not a great picture. But you can see these cliffs. I mean, why were they confident in the place that they live? This is a place called Petra, which was one of their controlling cities. And uh, to get into the place, you've got to go through these narrow passageways. It was a, a lot of their dwellings were like this. A lot of their cities were like this. And, it's, of course, you're coming in as an army. This is the way you get into their city. And so what are they doing on the cliffs above you with rocks and sticks and arrows and who knows, landslides and all this other stuff. And so you have, you have this, this um, seeming invincibility, if you will. And that's what they thought of themselves. Uh, we're invincible. So they trusted in the, the class of the writers. Another picture, by the way, you've seen this picture probably classically of, of, of Petra. And um, that little temple thing in the background was not built by the Edomites. It was built by Arabs a uh, thousand years later. Uh, you go there, you see that, you think, oh, this is Edom. No, it's not Edom. It's where it was, but it's not what, because they ceased to exist, guys, like I said, just like Obadiah predicted. 2,000 years ago, they, no, no, recorded, uh, no record of any more Edomites existing. They got absorbed, they got wiped out, or they got all the above. They trusted in the class of the rocks. They trusted in, in their riches, verse 6. They trusted in their allies. What does he say? I'm going to turn your allies against you. Uh, they trusted in their wisdom, verse 8. Notice he says, I will, will I not in that day destroy the wise men? So they, they've got all these things. This, why am I okay? 
If, if you made a list of the reasons why you're going to be okay at any given day, what would be that list? And I know we're in church, and so you're automatically going to put God at the top. And so let me just say thank you so much. It makes me feel so much better that you are able to parrot an answer. Now I'm talking about the real answer. What, what's the real reason why you think you're okay? Because that's determining whether you're going to be walking in pride or walking in the truth. You really think your bank account's going to get you? Oh, it's because my bank account's awesome. My gun collection. That's why you're protected. My insurance policies. The house I built or didn't build. My, my investments. What makes, you think you're, what, what makes you wake up in the morning and say, if it really isn't God, I don't care what you put on the list to, to please the pastor. If it really isn't God, you've got yourself a problem. You really do. You really do. You're trusting in stuff that is not trustworthy. Let me just say this because we have a lot of discussions in our, in our nation today about border security, national, national security. There is no security apart from God's security. There just isn't. There just isn't. Now, talk about a people who had it going on. I mean, look at this place. I mean, you got a place, talk about a place that's easy to defend. I mean, they had pride and arrogance about their place, but they should have said, you know what, it doesn't matter about all this stuff because ultimately, if God doesn't protect us, if they had only known what Psalm 127 said, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the, the guards stand watch in vain. What do you really trust? Where's your confidence? I'm not saying don't build a city and don't build a house. I'm not saying don't own a gun and don't buy an insurance policy and don't be careful with how you, do, you handle your money. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't let that deceive you into thinking that once you've got all those things together, that you're all together. It's not true. It's never true. Because unless your trust is in the Lord, who's the one that holds it all together, your demise uh, cannot be stopped. It was true for them. It is true for you. There is no such thing as national security apart from God's security. There's no such thing as personal security apart from God's security. We, it, when we trust in ourselves, we get what we can do. You trust in yourself, you get what you can do. When you trust in God, you get what God can do. Which would you prefer? Which would you? They're going to be tested. Which, 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 which one do you think will fail and which one do you think will not? need to decide. And it begs the question, how do I know? How do I know if I'm trusting myself or trusting in God? Here's how you know. What are you in a pinch? In a pinch. In a tight place. In a tough day. Whose rules do you follow? You fall back on the old me and the way I'm going to do things and I'll show them. Yep. Then we, we know who you are any other time. We know who you really are. By the way, now you know. Or, or is it, nope, God's in control, and I'm going to honor him, and I'm going to do what's right, and it doesn't matter how things go, but I'm trusting him, and I'm going to do his rules. Then you know, you see. Who are you in a pinch? Who are you in a tight place? And that will tell you who your security or where your security actually lies from your heart. The real security is always in God. But is it actually working for you? Like I said, you're here on a Sunday, right? You're all proclaiming and got Jesus at the top of the list to please, please the pastor. Uh, it won't do you a bit of good unless the reality is the same. So, so pride blinds us to our need for God. It did for the Edomites. It will for you. You will not be an exception. Pride, secondly, blinds us to the need of others. So we stop seeing our need for God. 
We also stop seeing our responsibility before God. That makes sense? I stop seeing my need for God, and I stop, stop really seeing my, my fellow, fellow man the way I ought to see him. I start seeing the, my fellow man from the heart of God. I start seeking the heart of God. I start living, stop living from the heart of God. Verses 10 through 14, take a look. So here's why. So like I said, God is judging them. Why? Because of the violence to your brother Jacob. Notice, brother, relative, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. Eee. On that day, you stood aloof. To me, a picture of aloof is me, why your life is falling apart, me standing back with my arms folded and saying, well, it's too bad for her. I'd hate to be her. I'd hate to be him. Do you do that? God's got a problem with that. He's got a problem. Standing, standing aloof when your neighbor, when your friend, when your brother is uh, in calamity. Oh, well, they're getting what they deserved, and the Jews were getting what they deserved. And God was meeting it out. And most of the prophecies we find in the Old Testament are against the Jews because they had a ton of privilege, right? God trusted them with the prophets. God trusted them with the lineage of the Messiah. God trusted them with the writing of the Scriptures and the, and the keeping of the Scriptures. What an incredible privilege. Wouldn't you like to be them? Yeah, you would. People get jealous of the Jews and God's position and choosing of them as, as his people. But you, don't want, you want all the privilege, but you don't want the responsibility. Neither did, neither did they. Ask, them what, ask a Jew what the responsibility of not doing what God has said brings upon a person's life and a, upon a, a group of people. So, yeah, they were getting what they deserved. But it doesn't, because someone is, doesn't mean you stand aloof. And it certainly doesn't mean, as you're going to see here, that you participate in their judgment. Notice, keep reading in verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that the strangers carried off his wealth and the farters entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were one of them. It wasn't just that you were standing back in your mountain uh, hideaway and just saying, oh, well, too bad for them. I'd hate to be them. No, you were just like, you know what? Let's get in there. We've been waiting for a chance to stab them in the back. And so, man, sad. Super sad. Verse 12, do not gloat over your brother's day. Do you do that? Do you do that? Someone you don't like who really is somebody who needs to get it. There are people like that. I got people in my life. You got people in your life. You may think it's me. Well, I'm thinking it's you. They need to get it. Need to get what's coming to them, right? When they do. Is there a part of you that says yay? That is not a good part of you. Because your God in heaven is not saying yay, so why should you? Don't find yourself in that place. Notice, do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. They're going to do all this, by the way. Do not enter to the gates of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. Do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. That's all they were doing. The Babylonians and the Assyrians marched into Israel and Judah, respectively. And the Edomites set up in their mountain crags, watching the armies. Oh, oh, they just blew up a whole city. They just tore, look at all the Jews, they're killing and carting off. And then as soon as it got dark, man, they got their rucksacks, and they went down through this, and they looted all the stores. They looted all the houses. And they go back to their mountain crags thinking, oh, nobody could stop us. Nobody can touch us. And God says, I was watching you. I saw what you did. And yeah, the judgment came from me, but I didn't tell you to do anything. 
Do not enter into the gates of my people, and do not, do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Verse 14, do not stand at the fork of the road, they did this, and cut down their fugitives. So they're fleeing from the Babylonians into the hiding places in the crash. Guess who's waiting for them? Their brothers, but not treating them like brothers. Cutting them down. Do not imprison their survivors. Oh yeah, we've got them over here in jail. Come and get them. God's got a problem with that. God's got a problem with that. So talk about neighborhood watch, right? Yeah, watching to see when you aren't there so they can come take your stuff. Watching, hoping that you get what you deserve because if they get, you get taken down a notch, it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. That is human nature. God is calling you out of human nature. God is calling you out of flying by the seat of your pants. God is calling you out of just doing what you were raised or what you see or what the world does. He's calling us to a place of godliness. Which takes God, it takes God to be godly. It's not just a matter of, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, I'm going to be a better person. No, it's a dependent upon God. I'm trusting in you, Lord. I want you to live your life through me. I can't do this by myself. You set up a standard that no one can achieve. You better believe it. Christian life cannot be lived. It can only be lived through. Only Christ living through you can live a Christian life. It's a total dependence upon Christ. Christ for salvation, Christ for sanctification. You have to have both, or you're going to act just like the world does. And it, like I said, it's the reverse of a crime watch here, or a, or a neighborhood watch. So first of all, gloating over those who get what they deserve is never good, as it says there in verse 12. It's never good. A smug satisfaction of seeing people uh, taken down a notch or two. Is that what you do? You just, there's something in you that gets a little bit excited when a person who was really doing great and really doing well, maybe, maybe I would say even sadder, is they've never done anything to you. You don't even know them, maybe. But because it's the, they call it the tall poppy syndrome, you know, he was the tall poppy, you know, in the field, and when he gets lopped off, then there's a part of you that says, really? Goes around comes around maybe you ought to think about that smug satisfaction makes you feel better about yourself when you see somebody taking down a notch or two listen it's not un, it's not just not godly it is godless it's not the way god operates you think god is sitting up in heaven just waiting for people to get stuff oh look at that one watch this meteorite <laughs> not like us but we really need to be like him. Notice Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord, oh, we've already done that one. Ezekiel, that's what I'm looking for. 1823. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? It's a rhetorical question. God wants to know. What do you think? What do you think? There's a part of us that thinks that he does. You won't find that. So whether am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Could we say, am I not pleased when there's not a single soul that goes to hell, even though we're not going to be some there, a lot of them there. But, but if God had his way and we had no choice, God could just make us all robots, we'd all be in heaven. But we got a choice to make, don't we? But he loves it when we choose to be forgiven. He loves it when we open the door for him to pour his mercy out on us. He loves it when we say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. He loves that. 
He loves that, so finally he can come to the rescue. He's not going to override. He's a gentleman. You say no, he's going to say, sorry to hear it. Okay. Doesn't please by it. Notice what it says here in Luke 15. If I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing, notice, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You think God's excited about the fact that you're living right with him? I think he is. You think God is just jazzed by the fact that you're, you're doing right and, and trying your best and seeking him and trying to depend on him? I really believe that he is. But I know something that gets him more jazzed. When a person who isn't doing any of those things turns to that way. He loves it. That it blows him away. It's his best day. He loves it. And so for you and I to sit back and watch a person not do that and say, hmm, he got it. Way to go, God. That's not the way God acts. It's not the way he wants you to act. Pride makes us forget that we are sinners too and how dependent we are on him for forgiveness. Pride, pride is such a sneaky thing, such a destructive thing, causes us to gloat, causes us to forget the needs of others. Uh, causes us to fall. You know, one of the, one of the famous um, uh, circus people, circus instructors about circus acts and especially high wire acts was a guy who went by the name of Papa Rudy. Ever heard of him? He's old time circus guy. Papa Rudy was um, asking, being asked questions. He was a trainer for people who walk the high wire. And one of the things he said about the high wire, he says, "I've seen a lot of people fall off the high wire." I said, "I've seen a lot of people die." He says. 90% of the more or more of the people who die off of a high wire in his experience in his, his career were people who died within three steps of completing the whole walk. So they started, and of course you step out on a high wire with a, I mean you're a little bit nervous. I mean things tighten up pretty good. And he says as they go, uh, they get feel a little better, a little better, a little better. They get within three steps, even though they have not arrived, they think they have. He says, that's when they fall. That's when they fall. He says, you haven't arrived until you've arrived. You're not there till you're there. And if you think you've arrived before you've ever arrived, probably going to be your last day. Probably going to be. That's what pride does to us. That's what arrogance does to us. It, it destroys us. So first, gloating over those who get what they deserve is never good. And secondly, seeing a need and being unmoved is a problem. It's a problem. It wasn't just that they gloated. First of all, they were just unmoved. We're not coming down from a mountain crags. It's too bad for you Israelis down there. But to be sure, when you're carted off, we're going to come loot your buildings. We're going to come take your stuff. And any of you run over to here, of course, we're going to, we're going to turn you back in. But, but they, not, like I said, it was the reverse of a neighborhood watch. But seeing a need and being unmoved. Oh, I don't do any of those things, Pastor. I would never do that. Oh, but so you're moved then by the needs of people? Oh, well, I can't get involved in stuff like that. I got a wallet that's pretty thick. I can throw money at them. Is that all God wants you to do? Is that all? I don't think it's all. I'm not saying don't do that. People need financial help, but maybe financial is just a cop-out for us. Pride makes us forget that Jesus takes, listen, the helping of others personally. Jesus takes the helping of others Personally, he takes it on himself. He takes it personally. Consider what it says here, or have you forgotten what it says in Matthew 42 through 45? I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat? 
Jesus is a bit incredulous about that. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, naked, sick, in prison. Then they, that is, those who didn't do these things, they themselves also will answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Like I said, he takes it personally, the treatment of others. Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. He takes it personally. He really does. Uh, if you don't think so, read the book of Obadiah. Try to find an Edomite. He says, because you didn't help them, in fact, you did the opposite, that's it. You're going to cease to exist as a people. They've not been around for a very long time. God is very serious about how we treat others. The second greatest commandment. What's the first greatest commandment? You shall, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall Love. It's love. 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 Love God. You cannot love your neighbor unless you first love God. But a natural outflow of love in God, don't tell me that you love him and that you do not love your neighbor. Because i got a whole book in First John that says, mm -mm, you, you're crazy. I'm not, though. If you think I am, going to fall for that. How can the love of God be in you, it says? Have, claim you have love for God who you cannot see. When you do not have love for your brother who you can see, love your neighbor as you love yourself. God has called you to that. So it's not, we, have a, we have a huge issue with putting anything before God and having anything or any idol before God, right? And we should. But we have no problem whatsoever passing by our neighbor. Second greatest commandment. It's okay to break, not break the first and then not keep the second. Where did you get that from? Seeing a need and being unmoved is a problem. And based upon that second greatest commandment, Jesus gave a commentary, remember, in the New Testament, because that's his answer. He says, go and do likewise. And he says, well, who's our neighbor? And so Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story. The guy's on his way down to Jerusalem, down to Jericho, about 10 miles downhill, falls in among thieves, gets himself beat up, gets all of his stuff robbed. Along comes, first of all, a Levite, and then secondly, a priest. Theologians, Bible teachers, who, by the way, had the book of Obadiah in their book. And, and yet, the teachings of the Word of God had never made it into their heart, only into their head. So they passed by. Notice what it says there in verse 11. What does it say that the, that the, that the Edomites did? On the day that you stood aloof... That's exactly what they did. They said, oh, I can't get involved. I got my nice clothes on. I have an appointment. I have something to do. People are counting on me. They passed him right by, and a guy with less theology, but a whole lot more heart to God, called a Samaritan, a most unlikely person, comes by and rescues this guy. Throws money at him. I'm not saying don't. But he also puts him on his own donkey. gets his hands dirty, doesn't he? God wants both. I believe he wants both. Yeah, you need to give money to causes like that, and you need to get involved. you got to get in there. Oh, there's some people that are gifted that way, and I'm just not one of those gifted that way. I don't find that anywhere in here. I don't see where you can opt out of this. Oh, well, there, somebody else is going to do it. Well, who else, is, who else is there besides us? God is sending us. Has pride blinded you or me to the need of others? 
When God causes us to see the need in others, you should read that as God calling you to meet that need. God calling you to meet that need. When their need touches your heart, you should say, what is God saying to me? Because it is God speaking. He has called us to be light and salt. Have you forgotten this? Salt and light, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You're not a type of salt. You know, it's like you got your potassium salts, you got your sodium salts, and you got your magnesium salts. No, you're it. You're it. And if the, but if the salt loses its saltiness, what are you going to do? There are not other options. Salt is preservative. Salt's a flavor enhancer, isn't it? And so if the thing that does those things no longer works, what have you got? You've got a world that's going to get putrefied, a world that's going to be tasteless, because the salt isn't out of the salt shaker. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, right? Why are you even here? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. You've got a job. I'm salt. I'm light. That's what I do. As long as I'm here, I make a difference. As long as I'm here, I get involved. As long as I'm here and God brings things into my presence, then I, make, I, I do something with it. I don't stand aloof. And I certainly don't sit back and gloat and say, yeah, uh, they should have made better decisions. Yeah, that's what happens to people who, don't do, who do dumb stuff. And maybe that is true. Like I said, people earn their own stuff. They really do. But it's not like God saying, you're not God. You don't carry that out. Yeah, that, that's a sinner who's getting what she deserves at the same time. Aren't you a sinner? Don't you have a, a, a something coming? Be very careful. Be very careful. You should be asking God, how can I be light and salt in my situation? How can I be light and salt in this relationship? How can I be preservative? How can I bring truth? How can I be light and salt at my job? In my business. How can I be light and salt in my family? Can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Some of you got tough families, right? How can you? God, you put me in this place. I would rather stand aloof, these knuckleheads. How can I be light and salt, God? How can I, be, how can I make a difference? God has called you to whatever circumstances you find yourself in to make a difference. I read a story of an executive who had a lot of control. He was a buyer. He represented a major um, clothing industry here in the United States. A guy by the name of Paul Barthwick uh, posed a question to a friend who was, uh, he had these high executives that were buying clothing and buying products and other things from what we otherwise used to call sweatshops. We don't call them that anymore. We call it overseas, what do we call it? Overseas marketing or something like that. Still a sweatshop, guys, is the same thing. You've got a bunch of people over there working for very little money. We're buying at a very low price, and we're selling over here for an absolute premium. And so this man was a Christian. Knowing the kind of prices that he was paying on behalf of his company to bring clothing, in, the, in this particular case, from Madagascar uh, to uh, the United States, he says, we were paying the Madagascar company a dollar for every pair of jeans they made and we're selling them on Fifth Avenue for $400. That's a profit margin, in case you don't know. That's a big one. And he says, but I began to be convicted in my heart that, yeah, we're, we're making a killing here as far as the profit margin, 
but we're making a different kind of killing in Madagascar. Okay, these people are producing something that's more valuable than what we're paying them for, but they can't get in. They, we've got them over a barrel. They're an island in the middle of nowhere. They make it and we don't buy it. They're in big, a dollar's better than nothing, right? And that's been our philosophy, he says. But he says, so I decided that I couldn't continue in the, morally continue in my job, but I, but I felt like God wasn't allowing me to quit, so I didn't know what to do. And I began to analyze the kind of control that I had and the answers that I gave to my higher-ups and the different things about it. They basically gave me a lot of latitude. And so I, I gave a phone call without telling them. In fact, he never told them, I don't believe. But I gave a phone call to the company that was producing these jeans. And he says, I, I want to know what it would cost, what, what the cost would be for your jeans if you raise them to a value that would enable you to have enough money to pay for the school fees of your employees. And, and he says, I want to know what that, what that would be. And in addition, uh, that would afford them better housing, that would afford them health care, that would improve their sanitation, that would improve and give them reasonable hours. So what, what would, just, just shoot the moon. He says, tell me. He says, oh, they, they said we would have to quadruple our price. So let's see, four times. Four bucks for a pair of jeans that we're still making 400 for. So yeah, it was four times less, more I should say, of what we were spending before. But he says, I figured that if my executives called me on the carpet, that I think I can handle, I think I could go, I could go to bat for them. He says, so I, I told him, the guy says, oh, we can't do that. You won't come back to us. He says, no, I'm the buyer. I will come back to you. He says, you raise the, you raise the price. He says, that's what I did. He says, God enabled me to bless them. God, God, God has called us to be salt and light wherever we find ourselves. Where do we find ourselves? In a corrupt place. What, are we going to stand aloof? Oh, well, I can't get my hands dirty. You know, it's, it's a shame these sinners out there killing each other and wrecking each other's lives and uh, destroying things and uh, destroying families and destroying countries and putting on 7,000-member marches and all this crazy stuff. I, I can't get involved in this stuff, you see. Because, because why? Because who, who gave you the command of the scriptures to say you're, you're an exemption to this? No. How can I be salt and light? Pride, pride, listen, makes us think that we've got it all together to the point we don't need God. Pride makes us think that we've, since we've got it all together, why should I lose it all by taking a chance with you? Pride wrecks us. It destroys us. destroys our culture. destroys our families. Destroys our workplaces, destroys our, our countries, destroys everything. I want to ask if you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we come to conclusion this morning. God has given us a call, and that call is to be like Christ. And Christ wasn't a person who walked, is there ever a person that could be prideful of his circumstances? It certainly was Christ, but he was not. He humbled himself, even to the point it says, of laying his life down to be crucified for our sins. Let this mind also be in you that was in him, Paul says to the Philippian church. Let us consider others as more important than ourselves. Let us consider Jesus. It says that even though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He had nothing to prove. Nothing. And yet he became one of us and one of the least among us. He's our example. He has called us to be light, to be salt. We can't opt out of that unless you want to just simply opt out of living down here because that's the whole purpose of you being here. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the call you have on our lives. Thank you for this important reminder. Lord, we have to confess it's hard to get involved in lives that we see destroying themselves, getting what they deserve, making their own bed and having to lie in it. And yeah, that might be so, but we cannot stand aloof. We cannot sit back and say, well, we're better than them, because we're not. And we cannot say, God, that we're not dependent upon you for all those things. Thank you, God, so much for the rescue you brought to us through your son, Jesus. Help us to remember now that we've been rescued. We're rescuers. Thank you for speaking to us today. Bless our time of invitation, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.